0: I suppose it's a better second option. it have to be. <laughs> Come on, let's just pray for Brad before he ministers the word tonight. Father, we love you so much. The greatest gift is to be a servant for you. And I pray that as Brad ministers the word right now, from a heart that just desires to serve you, build your kingdom, and see people connect with your plan, your purpose, and your destiny, I'm asking that in Jesus' name, many things will change in the heavenlies. That, Lord, you would give us an open heaven over this place tonight as we hear your word. And every other voice other than the voice of the Lord would be silenced tonight in Jesus' yes. name. And That we would hear your voice clearly, I pray. Yes, Lord. Thank you for the revelation that you've given Brad to minister to us tonight. We open our hearts and receive in Jesus' name. Yes, Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much, Basil and Shirley, and to the... Eldership team, yeah, deacons, saints, it's wonderful to be with you, and again also to Andrew and Ems just for welcoming us just into all the Josh Chains, it's an absolute honor to be with you all, man, it really is, and lovely to see some of you that I haven't seen in a while, and some new faces, and uh, yeah, we've just had a fantastic time, it was absolutely awesome being together at the gathering last night, as I said last night, I don't think I've, I, I've not, I've definitely never seen so many new people joining a church, before, in one go, it's just, it's like, what are you doing, Lord? But uh, you can be certain he's doing something <laughs> amongst us. And it's something special. It's just for us to be faithful with that now and to trust that all of those that are joining are going to catch his heart and um, join together. You know, it's, it's one people to glorify his name. So what a special time last night. And then I don't think we've ever been in Edgemead PM. I don't recall us ever being here, so it's really great to be with you guys. We've been, I think, Edgemead AM, so what a privilege, man. Uh, It is. This morning we're with Sunningdale AM, the two AMs joined together. Man, it was also just a fantastic time together in God's presence and wonderful just also to see what the Lord is doing. Also, just felt like we touched heaven, man, Um, this morning in worship and today as well. It's just a wonderful, wonderful time of, of worship, you know. Uh, as I, did, well, I'm going to continue on from last night. For those of you who missed the gathering, I'll give you a quick sort of recap. And um, I just felt to bring a word on the heart, and in particular, in particular having a heart after God. And last night, I kicked a ball downfield of the fact that, you know, David was a man in Acts chapter 13 22 who was referred to as having a heart after God. And then just pointing out again that God is interested in the heart. I mean, you know, when we get to heaven, God isn't going to check out who's got the most knowledge. How's that for a thought? Uh, it's, it's true. It's, it's not actually going to, you can have all the knowledge in the world. In fact, the Pharisees, he said of them, you know the scriptures, but you're, you actually don't know me. You know, and many times actually even in the Old Testament, one of the, accusations in a sense that God had toward Israel was that they, they knew how to honor him with their lips, but their hearts were far from him. The, the Pharisees knew exactly the word of God, like back to front. They could quote your scripture literally, you know, backwards kind of thing, you know, like <laughs> uh, not knowing every single verse in the Bible, and yet their hearts were hard. Jesus had that against them, actually, that their hearts were hard and calloused. And so God is really, really interested in us having hearts after him. Our hearts being soft. The Bible teaches um, right from Genesis to Revelation that we, we can start with soft hearts but actually end up with hard hearts. Not just hard, but I mean the dangerous thing is when our hearts get calloused. You know, that our hearts can begin to get not necessarily... Um, just instantly have hard hearts, but it's like when they get crusty aspects and elements to them. I love Andrew's done teachings that I've heard before, which I've used myself many times over. And it talks about, um, you know, when you, when you ignore pain, that's how you get a hard heart, a calloused heart. You know, you get calluses on your fingers playing guitar when you push through the pain and eventually as you push through that pain, your body says, hey, send some hard skin that way to, pr- to stop the pain and eventually you don't feel the pain anymore but you've got calluses and you actually can no longer feel. I, used to, I don't have hard calluses anymore. I don't play guitar enough at the moment. They still are pretty hard. I'm, I'm playing fairly regularly. Not, not regularly enough for calluses that when you hit on a piece of wood, you can actually hear yeah, tick, tick, tick it's, And our hearts can, can get hard. So last night we looked at a couple of um, circumstances that could come our way we find ourselves in that we can actually end up well we have responses to make we have choices to make uh, responses to decide on in order to keep our hearts uh, soft towards the lord and i gave a couple of scenarios last night that david faced um like even perhaps not being chosen or preferred by his own parents and a couple of other things like even in the, in in success does He look to the Lord when it comes to altered plans, like when your good intentions or actions don 't work out, what happens to your heart and then also shattered dreams. When you have good intentions and those are rejected, actually God says, no, actually thanks for your plan, but it's not going to be this. It's going to be this. What happens to our hearts? And so in all these things, we see David as this incredible example of a man who kept his heart tender. And specifically also with regards to sin. Like what happens when we sin? Does it affect our hearts? Does it affect our, um, you know, does it, do we realize, actually, that our sin is utterly detestable before God? And that when we sin, it's not, it doesn't please Him. And that our, rela- our relationship with God is a relationship. It's not just a confession that He's Lord. It's about walking with Him. You know, that's one of the biggest dangers, and we've seen it creep into our whole society in South Africa, calling ourselves a Christian country. But we're by far that. But people are call, will call us that in general, I mean... Christian country because people have confessed his name. But do they have a relationship with him? Uh, there was this one guy that I was actually used to, I used to cut surf, and this one guy was a professing Christian. And he, he would say that he's, but I, he wasn't in our church at all. And eventually I just couldn't anymore because he would, while talking about cutting and this, he would swear like every sort of second or third sentence. And one day I just thought I, I can't anymore. I have to. I know he's actually not saved, but he claims to be a Christian. And one day I said, "Hey, man, I just feel like I, I have to just bring this up with you, man. Uh, I know that you've declared to be a, to be a Christian, but I just want to reflect to you that you know every." Second or third sentence, you, you're swearing, man. And that really would hurt God's heart. And I could just see it. Was, it was kind of one of those things. Sometimes you're throwing pearl to the swine. It's kind of like I'm giving. I, I don't know how this guy's going to respond, but he's professing to be that. So I'm going to treat him as that. Well, I tell you what, he was not happy with me. And he showed his colors very quickly. I think since that day, I still see him. I don't cut anymore, but I surf. He also surfs. He just goes, He just walks around me. He's still offended. That was about seven, eight years ago. And it's clear that he's not a child of God. He's, his own heart is so hard. He's so calloused. I mean, I actually don't think he even know. Well, he definitely doesn't know the Lord. Because somewhere along the line, he's not, he's not aware of his sin. He's not actually aware of um, the, ne- the necessity of actually walking out a relationship with the Lord, of confession, repentance, of, of turning from sin. Okay, so that's what we looked at last night. Uh, this morning with the AM guys, which I won't do, I was going to do it till now in worship, was money, man. Money is something that really affects our relationships with the Lord. And it's something that David really got right. And money is something that, that contends for our hearts. Jesus says, you can't have two masters. You either have God, or you have money. And money is something that contends for our mo- emotions, our attitudes. It helps us get up in the morning. It motivates for us for the future. It helps us to, it, it props up our positivity. And when we have it or don't have it, it affects our emotions. Isn't this the very thing that God actually affects? Our hope for the future. Our emotion for t- today. our The mood. The mood that we're in. Finance can affect those things. And we see David as a man who, he says in in Psalm 62, he says, Though wealth increase, be careful not to set your heart on it. So when your wealth increases, don't set your hope in it. And, um, yeah, we see David as a man who was a shepherd, who had nothing, and suddenly came into a whole lot. And suddenly he had all the wealth of Israel kind of at his disposal. But when it came time to building the temple, he was focused at building the temple. He dedicated t- literally tons of, of metals, precious metals, stones, workers. He committed servants to those things. He committed incre- copious amounts of time to the building of the temple. And his heart was actually just to get this temple built because it was a, pl- a Place that would house the name of the Lord, and he wanted God's name to be glorified. and And so, I looked at that this morning, which I won't go into today. But yeah, so we need to make sure that our that money is not we are not serving money. And I just love your testimony tonight. What a powerful testimony of a man, uh, you, you and your wife, not fully living in like. The rest of the story, like the the, the relief isn't fully there, but God's provided for you all this time. And it was really powerful you you sharing tonight and a strong encouragement to us all to be faithful with our finances. And to put the tithe first no matter what season we're in, to say, Lord, I'm yours. Money's not my master, you my master. And a tithe is a great way of putting putting your foot on the enemy's head. Rather than being under the foot of the enemy, you're putting your foot on the enemy's head, which is to say, money is a temporary thing. We really do need it. But God, I'm storing up. I'm putting my eyes and my vision on heaven. And I'm giving you, Lord, because as you said even tonight, we give because we've got. We, we, all we have is the Lord's. And the tithe is about saying, as I received, I recognize that all that I have is from your hand. And David actually says this. At the start of the, temp- the building of the temple in 1 Chronicles 29, one of the, conse- the prayers he prays to the Lord is, he says, Lord, all that we have is yours. Who are we that we would give to you? Because you- everything that we have is yours. And so, yeah, Lord, we give. And that's why we tithe. That's why we give. Because everything we have is actually the Lord. The tenth is actually awesome. God, like, allows us to kind of work with the rest of the ninety. But he- we start with that ten. <laughs> Amen. But actually, all of it is his. And it's so important we get that right and, um, and learn from David there as to just the, the freedom that he lived with even in his giving and the willingness with which he gave. What I want to look at now, and I literally, I'm going to, I might hack a little bit through this, but I've, I want to look at worship tonight. And that David was a man who loved to worship and tonight, today I've been, you know, we were at the gathering last night with you all. Some of you, we were in a meeting this morning. We worshiped for at least an hour, I think, this morning. And we come here tonight and, and, and I mean, yeah, you've got to have some legs, right? I mean, for us, you might be worshiping for the first time today, but we're coming the second time round with you, with a team that's fresh, but we're, we're not as fresh as you. And when I come in here tonight, I'll be honest, I mean, I, I have to, I'm standing and I have to go, who is my God? I have to look again. I have to talk to my soul. Say, Brad, who is your Lord? Who is He? And then remind myself that He is he's God of all creation. He's maker, ruler, creator, savior, redeemer, provider. You know, He's all these things. And as I speak to my soul, I begin to brighten up, right? I begin to lift up. And, and sometimes it's that decision, that I'm making it's, it, it's a decision to worship as I, as my theology takes root in my theology, speaks over my emotions. My theology actually affects my emotions. Some people, funnily enough, have been accused, you know, and we will be, have been accused in our types of churches as you know, you guys promote hype. You know, I'm a bit concerned about the worship team, they tend to hype people up and cause emotion. Well, I mean, yes, our, our, our religion is one of emotion. Our God, uh, who we are is a people of emotion. God has made us to be a people of emotion, a people with emotion, and we're called to worship him as such. And David was a man who understood this. You look at him in, in the, as I mentioned last night at the gathering, when Saul looked and needed a musician to come and play for him to soothe his soul as he was tormented by the enemy because of his sin, They they... David was, was already renowned as a man skilled with his instrument, his lyre, l y r e, which is a mini mini harp. Imagine him tucking his mini harp in his belt, heading down to the sheep, sitting on a rock somewhere, ring ding ding ding, you know, <laughs> you know standing on a hill, like praising the Lord. This was David. He, it was him. It, it, he, he, he he was, and it's not about him just playing his instrument. His spirit was being lifted up into God's presence all the time. And we can see that through David's life because, I mean, as soon as, well, if you look, what's interesting, he gets called by Samuel, who's this priest, uh, prophet, king type, one of the judges. Samuel's basically one of the last judges in Israel before he hands over to Saul. And Samuel himself had, could hear God's voice from a very young age, right? When God called Samuel, Samuel, like yes, and he runs, and Eli couldn't hear God. But Samuel had this tight relationship with God. When Samuel anoints David, so fast forward after Saul, Samuel's got this tight relationship with God. He would go from town to town, exercising just being a judge over Israel. He literally would go from town to town, um, presiding over, over Israel, judging Matters in different towns among the people of God, reflecting God's nature in His judgments, and being like an an apostle, basically, you know, and uh, and an elder, and all of these things. And um, but when he when he calls David, we see you know the whole lot of things. David says Goliath, then you know, gets exalted in Saul's um, uh, kingdom, and then ends up having to flee because Saul gets jealous. And one of the times when uh, this, as I've been studying David's life, this, this came, stood out to me. Uh, one of the times Saul was pursuing David, and I don't have this in my notes, uh, and I couldn't find it right now when I was standing I was like, where is this again? But David runs away from Saul, and he runs to where Samuel is, to the town where Samuel is. And Samuel's old and about to die, but David Runs to this town, and I found that amazing, because when Saul goes, Saul, yes, David's in that town where Samuel is, and he sends a bunch of his soldiers to go and capture David. He says, get that David. He finds, it says, there was a company of prophets. And it says that David, he he says, David was with Samuel among the company of prophets. And when these soldiers arrive, they don't end up going back to Saul, because they get overcome by the Spirit and start prophesying. Saul's like, where the heck are those guys? Like, send some more guys. And he sends some more guys. And when they get there, they get caught up. Eventually Saul's like, I'm going to do this myself. And eventually Saul goes along. I mean, you must know. Like, guys, this is like a crazy story. This is a man who wants David's blood. He wants his head. Like, he wants this guy. He wants to take hold of him, capture him, and like, he wants to get a hold of this guy. And when Saul gets... To the place where David and Samuel are. He himself gets overcome by the presence of God. That he ends up falling on the floor and actually, I don't know, tears all his clothes off. and <laughs> I, don't what, I don't know what the Lord was doing there. But he starts to prophesy. What did that tell me? Because normally I just look at Saul's situation and what happened in the paragraph. But David was there. David loved the Lord's presence. He loved to be with the man of God who loved God's presence which is just wonderful. And that's what worship's actually all about as well. It's about recognizing the Lord and about seeing Him with eyes of faith and about delivering you know, a fresh song from our hearts to the Lord 24-7. And that's why I believe as well in Scripture, we see um, the guys in Acts chapter 15, when Paul and Barnabas had come back from their, their first missionary journey, and they... The, the church in Jerusalem hears that the gospel's broken out among the Gentiles. And so they, they also call, Paul, and there's this other, you know, gospel that was trying to infiltrate the church. And Paul and Barnabas head off to Jerusalem to discuss matters. And when they get there, they report of how the Lord has broken out in, in you know, the, on the first mission journey. And it says, Acts fifteen twelve, and all the assembly fell silent. So this is the early church. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they had finished speaking, James replied. So everybody sitting listening, what the spirit that fell on us in Acts 2 is falling out there on all these Gentile people. And he says, brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree. Just as it is written, after this I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes things known from of old. So James goes, What we're seeing is a restoration of David's tabernacle, and it's a restoration of people's hearts being turned to the Lord. And beginning to then worship Him, Amen. Are you with me? It's not just worship; it's a whole, you know, the whole church being the people, of, people of God, being built around the presence of God. But worship is one of them, and so we see Paul saying, "When you come together, everyone has a psalm, a hymn, and a spiritual song. A psalm is a you know, a psalm has to do with this, a, um, a written out." Song that we've, that we've sung tonight. You know, hymn was also a psalm of victory. And then you've got a spiritual song, which is a brand new song which you've never heard. And this is the mark of, of, the, of one of the marks of, of our worship times. Is that we may have one of the above or all three. But that the life of God is pouring out from us as the Lord rebuilds, in a sense, David's fallen tent. Part of David's fallen tent is this tent where David says, let there be 24-7 worship before the presence of God around the, the, um, the temple. It's an incredible thing that David did is he, is he appoints musicians 24-7 and that's what the Lord wants to do today and is doing in the church today. He's, he's Building a people who will 24-7 want to worship Him as we see Him. I, was, I must be honest, one of the things that helped me today even to enter into worship was thinking about Will Marie. I was thinking as I walked in here, I think one of the memories I have, one of the more recent memories in this venue is I was on that side and we were at a gathering in the middle of COVID and most of you couldn't come. And it was online and Will was standing about here. And I was thinking right now, Will is standing, seeing the Lord. Seeing the Lord. What would Will be doing right now? He'll be saying, come on, guys, lift up your voices. You're not going to believe what you're seeing right now. You're not going to believe what I'm seeing right now. Like, come on, lift up, lift up your voices to the Lord. And I I mean, I believe that's what he would be saying. And that is what the Spirit is saying in, in this place. Amen. In our hearts as believers. He's always, always worthy. And friends, it is an expressive worship. I want to say this. There's a move. There's, some, we need to, there's a move across certain parts of the church in the world that would call our worship hype or emotionalism. I've been accused of that many times. We need to be careful of theology like that because it's not based in the scripture. What we've got to do if we're going to be, and people say, yeah, you need to be careful of that type of thing, you know, because then you're prone to the flesh. You know, because you're sitting in your chair doesn't mean you're more spiritual than me. Because you're less expressive doesn't mean that I'm in the flesh because I'm expressive and you are in the spirit because you're not. I've been accused of that. I've had that <laughs> thrown at me even recently. Oh, no, you got up and you, you, you got us into hype. No, well, again, what? I mean, you, by you keeping us out from emotion, did you get us into the Spirit? You know, it's funny how a man's work. We sometimes want to create theologies that make us comfortable. I mean make me in charge of my worship. That worship becomes what is comfortable for me. But David, again, we're looking at a man whose heart was after God. His worship friends, when we look at, was not comfortable. It was not worship that was actually dignifying at all. In fact, in 2 Samuel 6, 5, it says, When David and all the house of Israel were celebrating, that word celebrating is the word sahak. It means they were laughing in pleasure before the Lord with songs, lyres, harps, tambourines, castanets. So they're looking going, ah, ha, ha. ha. <laughs> Can you believe it? woo <laughs> yeah. They're literally laughing before the Lord. And, uh, you know, we've all, I mean, I don't know about you, how many of you have actually been overcome by the Spirit and laughed and laughed and laughed. We must be careful. I know some people have called that an, uh, not a move of God who's in the flesh. Friends, I've laughed in the presence of God like it's just crazy. It's the most awesome thing. Elation and joy resides in the presence of God. As much as be still and know that he's God, elation and joy, and let me say it, ecstasy, reside in the person of God. And sometimes when we tap into that aspect of God's character, he overwhelms our whole beings, and you just laugh in the face of whatever you're facing. It's like, what? <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Like, you're going to die next week. <laughs> that doesn't matter. I remember, you know, a story. Um, this guy, Henny Cater, who we know, who was part of the apostolic team of NCMI, he, he recounted, I've heard this story firsthand. He used to minister into Mozambique with the Renamo days, which is, uh, yeah, like, uh, anyway, the guys who were fighting against each other and, he would take the gospel into into Africa, and one of them was in Mozambique, right through the 70s and 80s in the height of the war when they were literally kicking out the colonial colonists or the Portuguese, you know. He would go in there with the gospel. And one day he went in, uh, and a long story short, basically, uh, basically God miraculously took them through no man's land where the convoy before them got shot up. Everybody died. They literally drove through the a Convoy with just, just absolute mayhem. And they got to the other side of this no man's land with no police escort because they decided to just drive through the, uh, somehow. And when they got to the other side, they suspected them of being collaborators with the enemy because how could they have driven through when everybody's just been shot up? You guys must have. And so they pulled them, they said, Come with the AKs, and they put them before a wall which had a whole lot of bullet holes in it. And then he said he was just filled with the joy of the Lord. He started smiling and then laughing. He watched the, the sun, it was the sun was going down, and he just said, Well, Lord, I always wondered how I would die. Lord is so great to die in the African sun, you know, watching this. And he started laughing. The guys are so confused. He said the soldiers were standing in front of him in a line, and the guy in charge told them to put their weapons down and started questioning through an interpreter, What's your problem? And he said, Today I'm going to be with the Lord. I, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy. I'm joyful. And in the end, he ended up sharing the gospel with the guy. The guy was so confused that uh, he said, well, uh, so who are you really? And he ended up sharing the gospel with him. And he, miraculously, this guy offered to be his personal escort every time he got to the border from that year on. <laughs> he just said, yeah, it's my personal, like, I don't know, frequency and name and everything. There were no cell phones. But, and they actually got free passage every time they wanted to from that moment because the joy of the Lord overcame him in a moment. Come on. And, you know, um, yeah, so David went up in, in 2 Samuel six twelve, and it says he brought up the ark from the house of Obed-Edom, that's what I mentioned last night, to the city of David with rejoicing. And it's the word Simar, which means to brighten up. It means, to, like, excitement with rejoicing. And it says, And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened car, uh, animal. And David danced, and the word dance is the word karah, which means to whirl. He whirled. Now I have tried this a number of times. I'm going to try it, but I'm terrible at getting dizzy. So he whirled. All right, he's like, no. Hey, Lord, Woo! it's about as many as you're going to get from me," because I thought I was going to fall over. But he whirled around. Eh? When last have you whirled around? When last have you whirled in the Lord's presence? He turned around. He was he was overcome. He was. As his spirit was engaging with God, his body was free. His body was free, and it's just so important that we that we don't um, give way to a, to a theology that doesn't allow that. I mean, if David had this was um, mentioned as this man after God's own heart, surely our worship could look similar. I'm not saying we have to will every time you know we worship, but like. It says, he whirled before the Lord with all of his might. Anyone want to come try that, demonstrate that? I'm not going to, I'm going to end up, end up down against a wall there or something like that. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting, which is the word teruah, which comes from the word clamor or a battle cry. Now, I think I'm going to speed you from that over the microphone. But, uh. We must be careful, you know, I know there's people today in the church today that will shout and scream and, you know, there there is heart, there is, but, you know, we should be careful that because we see an, an imbalance or an abuse that we don't, you know, swing the pendulum to the other side that says we're not going to do that. We're going to just be, you know, slightly in the middle. I mean, yeah, maybe there is a place for that. Like, but we need to... We can't throw the baby out with the bathwater because we've seen an abuse of, of, of this type of expression. And so be very careful that we, that we don't fall into a sense where we become more and more conservative in order, actually, at the end of the day, to save face. Or... It's actually out of fear. See, David actually caught something in God. In fact, the whole, the all of Israel were shouting like as that of a battle cry. It says, especially the clangor of trumpets as an alarm blow before the Lord. Isn't that amazing? And so there's times for us, and we, we, we know um, it kind of feels half like I'm preaching to the converted because we are in this type of church, but, you know, we've got a lot of people coming, and even us, even us. I've been around for a while now. I've been charismatic for, <laughs> I've been a charismatic, open to the gifts, Christian. Not just open to the gifts, desirous of the gifts is the difference. You know, we open to the gifts, and the gifts never operate. No, I'm desirous for the gifts. Honestly, this morning in worship, uh, tonight I was a little bit distracted because I was thinking about preaching this word, which I haven't prepared. So I was like, oh, okay, Lord, I can't fully engage. But this morning, I was like, anything can happen right now. And not only anything, Lord, I ask you now for prophecy that will blow us away. In Christ is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. God, just download into me right now. Words over people open up people's mail so that your name will be glorified because you are worthy of praise. Come and break out amongst us, O Lord. It's not just you know, if you want to, God. No, I want you. We're not open to the Holy Spirit, we're desirous of the Spirit, we're hungry for the Spirit, we're calling down the reign of heaven in our meetings. Amen. This is the sort of fashion and zeal the Lord is looking for, even. Um, as we see David, and this, is, this was David, man, he, he just let it all out there. <laughs> and God is looking for us to be there. So it says, in uh, where are we again? In 2 Samuel 6, As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping. So that's another expression. So now he was whirling. With all of his might. Now he's leaping. Which also means, okay, wait for it. It's the word that means to spring as if separating limbs. (laughs) I'm serious. If you've got a strong concordance, put your mouse over the word. You can go look it up yourself there in 2 Samuel. To leap means as if to separate limbs. Now, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. We're going to get some mad guys in the church after this. But I mean, it's like, yeah, come on. Oh, it's like a natural break. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, but. Whew. When lots of you danced that you've sweated, that it's coming, that your clothes are wet with sweat. Because you didn't come to church. For the person next to you to you smell your nice cologne, he came together with the people of God to lift up His name. I've been and I've been privileged to go to India. I've gone to Indonesia. I've gone to so many third world. Countries. I've gone into Africa. Been in India where you climb up a little ladder in the middle of a favela, not a favela, that's Brazil. I've been there as well. But into um, slums, climb up a, a building where you've walked through narrow streets. And as you climb up some stairs, literally like a fireman's top, many steps, you get into this shack built on top of another concrete slab overlooking the slums. And the, the sheet, tin sheet roof is this high above your head. And the place is packed like sardines like this. And the worship starts in a Hindu area where you've walked past three shrines just from the main road. Three shrines dedicated. The incense is going up to these foreign gods, and the people begin to worship. I tell you what, you are foreign in that place, man. That worship is sounding over that whole, over hundreds of people. And these, these Indians are in there, and it's in the middle of summer. I tell you what, you haven't even started jumping, and you're sweating. And you're in there and the sweat's pouring and the people are just worshiping. You can't even put your hand up because it's hitting the roofs. And I'll tell you what, friends. God is worthy of worship. He doesn't care how many instruments you got. He doesn't care about fancy building. He's looking at our hearts. He's looking at our hearts. And He's looking at, at just the posture of our hearts. And He loves Worship. He loves even the discipline of worship that we discipline ourselves, even discipline our bodies to act according to some sort of emotion that he, that you know, that carries through from emotions into our bodies as we see him. And I'm not talking about a law, amen. I mean, I'm not putting law on us, but, uh, but just be careful that you know you haven't you haven't sunk into in a sense, uh, you know. Some sort of, you, know, you must see my dad. My dad's mo, He's 76 years old. I can't tell you how many Sundays. You can't say it's an age thing. Or even me, I'm actually getting pretty old now. 48, I should have definitely got a bit dignified by now. You know, surely by now, Brad, you know, you've done a couple of things in life. You should by now be a bit more dignified. My dad will often come up. <laughs> You'll say to the judge, give me a a J! Give me a D! Give me a D! Give me a D! He says, "What do you get? What do you get? What do you get?" Do you get? And my dad's like, "Ah!" Then he gets off the stage. It <laughs> was like, "Ah!" <laughs> it's like Braveheart, right? Hey, that, that guy. like, what's his name again? William Wallace. Yeah, William Wallace. He walks. I just love that scene when I can't watch the whole movie, but he like. And he goes past all the soldiers. And he says, we're going to fight for Scotland. Yeah, we're going to fight. You know, they can take out whatever country. But they can never take out freedom. <laughs> and all that are just. right. You know, we shouldn't be afraid of stirring up our emotion in God. In God. Yeah, that can be flesh. Absolutely. It definitely can be flesh. There definitely can be flesh in sitting down and doing nothing. Definitely. Yeah, I would maybe even say yeah, let me not go there. There can be flesh in both, friends. We shouldn't be so you know, leaning to the fear side of things that prevents us from dancing before the Lord, from shouting before the Lord. Um, if you look at Psalm Psalm 149, which was not written by David. I've got another preacher that's got all David's things, but I couldn't find it and I'm not going to be able to do it as well. But uh, share it as well, teach it as well. But if you look at Psalm 149 as a model for worship, to go through it really, really quickly, it's not a very long Psalm. But he says, Praise the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of the godly. And it's an instruction for all of Israel to sing praise. He says, Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise. In the assembly of the, of the godly. Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. And then he says this. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. That's why we sing, friends. It's the reason why we're stoked. It's because the Lord has taken delight in us, in Christ. is that Wonderful. He's taken pleasure in us. But you know, if you, if you uh, and, and that's what, uh, that's what um, Peter writes, right? He says, you are God's chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You're chosen. What to declare, he's called you out of darkness into, the, uh, um, into glorious, light. glorious light, so that you may declare the excellencies of him. It's so that we may declare the excellencies of him. You know, when the Holy Spirit came on the early church in Acts chapter 2, we see, what did they prophesy? What, did, what does the Bible say they, they were doing when the Holy Spirit came upon them? In, what did they say in the different languages? It says, they declared the wonders of God in the languages of the nations around them. They declared worship. They're like, oh, the Lord is worthy. The Lord is good. The Lord is great. Did you know Jesus? You know they declared the wonders of God. They were worshiping. They worshiped God. They declared and, and announced who the Lord was? Um, if you look at this, this psalm it says, "Let Israel rejoice in Him that made them, the children of Zion, uh, be joyful in the King." That uh, I'm trying to get to my my words here. Sorry, man. Um, they were quickly go through some of the, the Hebrew uh, the the Hebrew words here. Praise the Lord, verse one. Halal it means uh, to be clear to be to give a clamorously. Like foolish sound, like a, to rave and celebrate about the Lord. So praise the Lord. It says His praise in the assembly of the godly. If you can, yeah, His praise. So every time, I'm going to read you some Hebrew words for these words. It means holal. Uh, uh, sorry, the other one means Tehila. It means a loud, so we're still in verse 1, eh? It means a loud, loud hymn of praise. And then verse 2 says, be glad. So if you look there, let Israel be glad in his maker. That word glad is the word samar. It means to brighten up. So let Israel brighten up in their maker. Do you know what you cannot be bright like this? Oh praise the name of the Lord our God. You can't be bright like that. You gotta do like the Lord, let the Lord do something. Just try Just try it. Just try it. Like, it. praise Him. It says, be, let, let Israel. Um, go read the Hebrew word. It's brighten up. Be glad. Brighten up in your maker. Rejoice. Let the children of Zion rejoice in the king. That word rejoice is the word giul. It means to spin around. I promise you, go look at the Hebrew word. It means to spin around in their king. Verse 3 says this. Let them praise His name. In dancing. That word, uh, well, yeah, that's the same. Also, for some reason, I don't have that one yet. Yeah? <laughs> if you go to, let them sing praises to his name with a timbre and harp. Verse 5. Let the godly exult in glory. You know what that word exalt is? It's the word alas. It means to jump for joy. It's, that's the actual Hebrew translation. I, I still, I mean, exalt. We don't really, I mean, honestly, when you read the word exalt, I don't know about you, maybe your English is way better than mine. But when I think of the word exalt, I don't know quite what to do. Let the godly exalt. I think it's exalt, maybe, yeah. But the the, the Hebrew word is the word alas. That one I can understand. It means to jump. Yeah, okay, I got that one. Let the godly jump in glory. Cool, got it. Let them jump for joy. And then it says, let them sing for joy on their beds. Well, the word is actually none. It means to creak or emit a stridulous sound. It means to cry aloud for joy on their beds. I mean, that's literally to be sitting there and going, yeah, hey, hey, Woo! <laughs> How many of our wives are going to be happy with that? Uh, to, I'll be honest, I don't do that. I'll be, I don't do that. <laughs> Maybe as I'm reading it now, I should, I should do that a bit more. But what he's really saying is, when you wake up, when you go to sleep, let your spirit be in worship. I think that's what the interpretation could be. I mean, I think we'll be giving each other heart attacks in the middle of the night. But, like, let them, let them shout for joy in, in their beds. Oh, this is, it's so beautiful, isn't it? And it's exactly what the law was, that you were tied around your neck, bind it on, write on the tablets of your heart, actually bind, you would put the law on the, the phylacteries, on their foreheads, they would write it on the doorpost. So you never forget, and this is worship, that we don't forget, and he's saying, cry aloud, let there be an expression of the awareness of God around you, then he says, uh, let, verse 6, let the hard praises of God be in their throats, and two-edged swords in their hands, and that word Um, High praises means elevating, skyscraping, lofty and superior, splendorful and superb and famous praises of God be in their throats. Wow. Come on. And what's interesting, he says, and and, and then we'll actually inflict vengeance on the enemy. You actually, it becomes a two-edged sword, like as you actually worship, which is amazing. Absolutely profound. Uh, if you look at verse 79, it says, To execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the peoples, to bind their kings with chains, their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the judgment that is written. I believe that's prophetically saying that when we worship, we're tearing down strongholds, friends. We're tearing down strongholds. You might even be te- you're tearing down strongholds in your own life. You're saying, I put myself at the foot of the cross. I put my ideas at the foot of the cross. I put. I put... What the world is telling me, what I should be feeling, which is pretty depressed because, you know, the jolly, South Africans are selling the Russians weapons and the rain's just fallen through the floor. <laughs> Whatever, you know. <laughs> if that really happened, we don't know, we'll see. But, like, you know, come on, guys, can we just sell weapons to somebody else? <laughs> but we, we say, no, we're going to worship the Lord. We're going to exalt him. We're going to glorify him. ESCOM comes, lights off. King of darkness into our houses. <laughs> Thanks, ESCOM. The Lord of the darkness, bless him. Um But, you know, we're executing vengeance on our enemies. That potential depression that comes over you every time you have that generator kick in and your profits just go down by another 20%. And it's it's hard, guys. It is hard. I saw today, I thought, Jesus, gee, I didn't... By the way, I did not, I'll never ever use the Lord's, gee, is this, oh, that's what I was going to say, gee, is this a fire going on over here? Because we're driving down the road, and I was like, whoa, what's that plume of smoke coming out there by the table, table View shopping center? I was going to say to you, Angel, place is on fire. And then I realized it's a, probably a V8 diesel generator firing up to power the whole jolly shopping center. And table view are go, you know, the, the shopping, the, the center owners are like, Glug, 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 glug to our prophets. Oh, gee, now we're all getting depressed. Uh? But what, what worship does is we execute vengeance on those things. Christians, we should be the happiest people on the planet. We, the presence of God is what drew people to the Lord in the early church. In spite of the guys ending up in arenas, getting torn apart by lions, they worshiped because they saw a new gl- home. And so we will worship no matter what happens. And obviously you see Paul and Silas sitting in jail. I mean, having just been flogged, they begin to worship. And they actually worship from what is known as the victory psalms, which is between Psalm 115 or so and Psalm 120 something. And those songs were psalms of victory in the prison, in the dungeon. Come on. How did they do it? You know, they didn't do it to be examples to us. They did it because they saw him. You can't in that place go, okay, let's worship so this can get written down, so one day guys will look to us. <laughs> it's like not, not going to work. You're doing this because you're like, we've seen Jesus. We've seen him. He's worthy no matter what we're going through. And then you execute vengeance on your enemies. Okay, in their case, they got free. We know in some cases people don't. They end up worshiping on the stake while being burned alive. But worship, friends. Worship, friends is the, the, the bread and butter of the people of God. May you he help us. And then maybe just to, to land this, in, and I'm not going to land it very quickly. Not in two minutes, about ten. Okay. If we're not convinced enough about David's example, if you go to Zephaniah 3 verse 14 and onwards, it says, the prophet Zephaniah, listen to him, he says, sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel, rejoice, and exult, alas, that's to jump, with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. And on that day it shall be said, Jerusalem, fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. For the Lord your God is in your midst, and I'll go into that now. So, What Zephaniah was doing there, he was seeing a day that would come when our sins would be forgiven, where the Savior would come. And he calls the people of God to rejoice. And then he says this, which is just absolutely insane, about the Lord. In verse 17, it says, The Lord, uh, I'm going to have to go to the actual scripture. Just hold on, Zephaniah 3.17. Sorry? Sorry? Yeah, but I need to just go into my strong school here so I can just mouse over because I'm flying here by the seat of my pants. As if now, 317. Okay, look at this. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will exalt over you with things. So this is now he's saying, the Lord is in your midst. Okay? A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice. That word rejoice is a word... Uh, Syys, S-I-Y-S. It means he will be glad over you. He will rejoice over you. So the Lord, he's talking about the day, he sees a day when God sends his son Jesus. Jesus dies on the cross and the people of God, through faith in him, come to the Lord. I'll say, he says, the Lord will rejoice over you. Isn't that amazing? He will display joy over you. With gladness. That word gladness is the word simha. It means with blithesomeness or glee. is that amazing? So the Lord will rejoice over you with gladness, with blithesomeness and glee, saying he wants to forgive us in Christ. John three seventeen. yes, for God to love the world, but then it says, for God did not come to the world to condemn the world, but that the world might have life through him. He wants to forgive us our sins. He's desirous to do that. We'll just call him, but he's blasphemy. Somebody he said, come on, come on. Yes, come to me, come to me. And if you're here tonight and looking for forgiveness of sin, I tell you what, I had this picture today, and I, I didn't do it. But I was going to say, you know, who wants God right now? And if somebody wants to put up their hand, I was going to run up to them as fast as I could. You know, it's like, that's how the Lord actually wants to come to you. He wants to, you know, for the heart that's saying, yes, Lord, God, oh, for, the, for those that want and need forgiveness, he wants to run up to you, he wants to cleanse you. He wants that. He's desirous. The word says he wants all men to be saved. And he wants to just, like, it, it's just amazing that he's so quick to do that. One of the, I was reading in Deuteronomy chapter 4, I think it's Moses, says, who, who has a God like this, who hears his people's prayers and, and, is clo- and walks with them and is with them? Who, who, has, who, who among the nations has a God that is like ours? It's wonderful, man. Anyway, he says, and he will quiet you with his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Guess what that word exalt is? It's the word "gyul again. It means he will spin around as under the influence of a violent emotion. So, wow. So now, Zephaniah, being caught up in glory, is seeing a day, in the, and he's seeing the Father dancing over people as they repent. As people turn to him, the Father is twirling and whirling, blasphem over people as he's taking their sin off of them and giving, taking an uh, 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 Cloak of heaviness and giving them, what's that thing, mourning, turning them mourning to dancing. <clears throat> and he will exalt over you with loud singing. And that word is shouting. And David writes about this. If you read, I think it's Psalm 32, he said, the Lord surrounds us with shouts of deliverance. So I guess I'm ending off on this note so that we can see the, the theology that we have. For worship, is not just based even in a man. David was seeing something of the Father. And as he saw God, God's, he was a man of God's own heart. As he saw God, he imitated what he saw. And the Spirit of God would come upon him and he would do as he saw the Father doing. Which is just mind-blowing. And it just blows, it just blows a of relationship with the Lord out of the window. Like, not for the sake of being emotional and for the sake of being expressive. It's just that's who God is. I mean, He, he is arrayed in splendor, the Bible says. Isn't it amazing? And so, <clears throat> I feel like tonight, like, I, I don't know, during worship, I just wanted to remind us tonight. I wanted to to tap us in, like, all of us just take a look again and and go back again to the basics. Remind ourselves of why we do the things we do. And for those of you who have maybe come in to this context and, and, you know, you're kind of seeing what people are doing. And you, you're wondering kind of how they got there. But you've decided that this, this space of comfort and safety is for me and that can be for them. Well, this message is to help you to see that the God that you profess, that you do worship, that you do love. He himself is expressive over your life. And you might say, well, is it, does it make any difference whether I do or whether I don't? Or I'll just ask, or well, maybe comment to that, like the eyes of the Lord are looking for those who wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly serving and worshiping him. And if the one who made you is like that, like, and you not? Can you at least maybe acknowledge that there's aspects of yourself that need to change? There's aspects of your own worship, or perhaps what is preventing you from doing that? If you, because if you know, it's so funny. You know, I preached this message in Australia, and there was this lady um, sitting there. I think she was eighty something years old. She's from Croatian or something descent. She was a she moved to Australia. She can hardly, she speaks really, I, I won't, I'm going to try to imitate her, but I'm not going to get it right. She's got this Russian type of accent. And she, and what happened there in Australia, I actually preached this message and afterwards. I said, yeah, okay. in fact, music team, can you guys come up? <laughs> music team, can you guys, I'm this is serious. There was a serious call for you to come up. Yeah, yeah, come up. And, uh, and so I said, okay, Church, we're now going to practice what we've just heard. And we're going to not force anybody to do anything. I just said, if you have never before like tapped your foot or like raised your hand, can you just try to do that today? I'm not calling everybody to do X. Having said that, I think David, you know, it says all of Israel. All of Israel. He commanded all of Israel to shout out to the Lord. There's a place for us to do that. And again, for some of you you may be new to this type of church or even been here a while and you've decided to take the back seat on things like that. When a call like that comes from the elders, it's for you to respond with your heart, for you to join with all of the others and say, yes, Lord. Not because, you know, you could say, oh, I'm not going to be a minion, you know, I'm not going to just fall in line with everyone. No, it's about us being one together in our worship. Seeing the same thing, having the same, being one of heart and mind. And so when somebody says, I feel like we need to dance, then why don't you just try? And so in Australia, as I began, I was dancing and going ballistic, doing a bunch of crazy things, which I'm not necessarily going to do right now. <laughs> but uh, um, she said to me, she said to me after, you know, uh, as we were sitting eating a, a meal and that, I went, she said, can I please talk to you? And she sat there. she said, uh, I-, I can't get her accent right. She said, I just want to thank you tonight even though I can't do what you can do, I'm going to go to sleep. She said, I was doing that in my spirit. Because she's, she, can't, she can't walk. She's in this wheelchair. She said, and tonight I'm going to lie in my bed and all I'm going to do is see you spinning around and I'm going to worship the Lord with you in my spirit. Yes. I just thought, praise God, man. You know, you might, what, you might have you know, a reason why you can't do something. I'm not but if you don't have a reason, why not? And I would venture to say well, that it's potentially because of an area of pride in your life. Maybe a self-awareness in you of what others may think. Maybe you feel like you've, you've moved on from that stage in life. You know, you've moved out of the teenage years. You've now... I don't know. You've, you've moved on from there. I've heard it said... You know, we leave that for the youngsters. You know, that's for the young guys. David, when he died, had been serving Israel 40 years as king. 40 years. He was, he was late 60s, 70s when the guy died, and we see no backing off with him. In fact, he died preparing the temple for worship. He, he told the musicians, you, you. He pointed, if you read how he orders the place, Asaph, He says, you and the singers, you must declare the faithfulness and the love of God. I want you to sing. The faithfulness and the love of God knows no bounds. If you read something to that effect. He says, declare daily the love of the Lord and the faithfulness of God. And you see the things that he told the guys to sing. And all of them, in all of them, or many of them, are many and more of words that I've used tonight. Words of expression that he commands all of Israel to have in their worship. And um, yeah, I think it's because not because we're a church that does these things; it's because the church we see God, who who is this over us? Amen. Amen. So all of you are wondering what on earth's going to happen now. Don't worry; I'm also wondering what's going to happen now. <laughs> the Lord loves us; He loves us so much. He understands your hesitancy and your reticence. He understands all of that. And having said that, He's He's calling some of you out into greater expression. He's calling some of you out. You see, some of our, some of our um, hesitancy is actually is actually birthed in a place of of insecurity in ourselves, or in a in a self awareness that that actually I'm afraid of what people might think. And God wants you to surrender that. He wants you to lose your name. In a sense, actually, in every sense, he wants you to die to self in your worship. He wants you to forget. (laughs) He wants you to forget that you're 48. Put fill in the blank. What is your age and stage? You want you to forget your achievements in life. You know, you want you to forget like your place in society. And what would be, you know, respectable. And he wants you to see heaven. It's funny how, you know, the 95 World Cup, when Joel Stransky kicked the ball over the poles. Wow! Good kick there, old chap. Well done. We just won the Rugby World Cup. Wow, that was really quite something. Wow, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, what did you guys think? Yeah, no, that was, that was good. That was really good. Yeah, ek is Afrikaans, Ek, Ek, uh, Ek, 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 ...to Ek, in Ek, 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 kicks that ball over the thing. Ek, 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 Ja, Ek, said, Ek, 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 It's funny, you know, we can do that for Joel Stransky, you know, I know it's a long time ago, In the other World Cups we've won. When the Lord, when we see our sins forgiven, washed, cleansed, set free, and we sit without expression, we've got to, our theology needs to be challenged, man. It's got to go from our head to our hearts. Amen. So, I don't know what we're going to do, but we're going to sing, we're going to worship the Lord now. Um, and just before we do that, let me just say some people might go a bit wild. Maybe we won't. I don't know. I don't want to force. We can do it next week. but I do think we miss just worship a little bit. If you're here today and, and don't know Jesus as Lord, I just want to say, He's real. And your sin is real. And without God, the Bible says you're going to an eternal destiny outside of the presence of God. The Bible calls that hell. And we worship like we do because we're looking for it towards a day A day that has actually taken place for us already. The Bible says as Christians, we've already entered into eternity because we know God, in a sense. Our eternity has begun. We'll die, but we'll continue with the Lord in His presence. But if you are today and don't know Jesus, the reality is earth is the only heaven you will ever know. Earth is the only heaven you will ever know. For us as Christians, earth is the only hell we're ever going to know. This is the worst it's going to get. So we worship because we're looking forward to a day that's going to be absolutely awesome when we appear before His presence and He welcomes us in because we've accepted the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. And we've been forgiven. And He's danced over us with the forgiveness through His blood. If you're here today, friends, join with us. God is inviting you to the party. He's inviting you to an eternal like destiny with him but you need to confess that you're a sinner you need to acknowledge that he's died on the cross for your sins if that's you today God wants to forgive you and I tell you what it is the most joyful biggest day of your life the day when you go from darkness to light from the power of Satan to the power of God if that's you today God wants to save you he wants to set you free And he wants to put joy in your heart. Amen. So let me just bow our heads before we sing. Lord, if there's anybody like this here tonight, I pray that your spirit would um, just move on them right now and enable them just to respond to the gospel. That Lord, you want to save them from their sin. That you've died on the cross and rose again. That they can be set free and today be your child. Is there anybody like that today who would like to raise your hand and just say, Brad, I do not know Jesus. I've walked into this place. I'm not a Christian. I'm not going to an eternity in God's presence. I know that my sin has separated me from God and I need God's forgiveness today. Is there anybody like that today? Could you raise your hands? Anybody? Is that you raising your hands, sir? That's wonderful, man. Praise God. Wonderful. <laughs> wonderful, my man. I wonder if there's somebody like a leader or somebody who can just go to that gentleman there. Is there anybody else like that today? That's just wonderful. The Bible says that even heaven is rejoicing as one sinner repents. Praise the Lord, man. Anybody else? Okay. Thank you, sir. That's wonderful. Well, well praise God. Is there somebody know you, sir? Are you, are you new in the church? Are you? Well, it's great to have you. Keep your hand up, sir, just so somebody can get to, new, get to you. All right. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Wonderful. All right. The rest of us, yeah. Lord, I pray that you would help us to have the heart of David, that you would help us, Lord, to have this heart after you, that you would help us to see you as you are, that you would lift up our hearts daily. I mean, I needed it again tonight as I walked in. We need to see you every day, Lord, with fresh eyes. And I pray, God, that you would help us as Josh Chen, Josh and 412 Churches, God, to reflect heaven in our worship. And for us to be one in so doing, not to just let the guys in front be the jumpers or the dancers, but that would every, everyone, man, woman, and child, be found understanding heaven, seeing heaven, seeing you, Lord, as you are and as you've shown yourself to be. To those who've sought you with all of their hearts, they've seen you to be this wonderful, glorious, expressive God who's just so vibrant and exuberant and full of joy and elation as well as, yes, judgment and holy. But God, you are so, so good. I just pray, God, for some of you, friends, as you've been stuck in depression, you've been stuck in in, in the same place in your walk with the Lord. I just believe as you worship the Lord tonight with expression, some of you are going to experience shackles falling off of your feet. And I want you today... To begin to do something, we're not going to force people to do, you know, like to to go wild. But why not, you know? Just do something extra right now as we worship the Lord. Extend the boundaries of your worship. Push through, push through a boundary tonight as we go into just a song. I don't know what we're going to sing, but we worship you, Lord. Let's lift up and shout to the Lord. We worship you, Lord. Yeah.